look forward to the K-Fest uh, this weekend. This is coming up September 10th. Uh, so we'll have opportunity for those of you who are volunteering uh, to be at that uh, booth. Uh, we'll have opportunity to uh, meet a bunch of people in Nightdale, and so we'll keep that as a matter of prayer uh, for this weekend, um, as well as I believe the uh, Hispanic Church will be meeting with us, uh, helping us in the afternoon uh, during that time as well. Uh, so I want us to begin uh, with a, a time of prayer. Um, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 uh, this morning. Uh, as we go through what we call the coffee mug sermons, uh, those texts that we often see on coffee mugs are on the wall, uh, and so there is, um, some of you are very familiar with the YouVersion Bible app, uh, there's 800 million uh, users of the Bible app, every second someone is liking a verse, or 112 people are liking a verse every second in this Bible app, so it's well used uh, Bible app, and, and so they have a demographic of some of the most liked, shared, uh, highlighted verses uh, over its time frame, um, and it's done by region, and, and Philippians 4.13 is one of them, as well as Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, that we looked at uh, last week. Um, the most highlighted verse is Romans 12.2. Interesting enough, out of all time, uh, is Romans 12 too. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. So maybe we'll add that to our list. Uh, so next, next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll look at Isaiah 40, uh, verse 31. That's, I'm sure, on many of your walls. Uh, if you go home, you just, you'll see it. Uh, and so we'll, of course, look at John 3.16, Romans 8.28. Uh, uh, Joshua 1.9 is one also uh, quoted uh, often. So we're going to look at Philippians 4, and uh, I'm going to just pray that God would speak uh, through this word. Uh, when we come here, uh, we come here to worship, but it's also we come here because we need, as we've just sung, Lord to work in our hearts uh, through one another often is how God does that. That's why we want to sing. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this just yesterday morning. I'd thinking about blog articles to write about, and uh, I was just started thinking about why, why do cars have volumes that go way beyond what is normal? You know, I think I, think I maybe heard some music off in the distance, I was on the porch thinking like, why, why do we, and then more importantly, why do we listen to it much higher than what our ears can handle? What, why is that constant? There's something about our desire to... Um, magnify things that we like. It doesn't matter if our neighbors like it or not. <laughs> you know, we want to magnify something that we like. And, and that is about glory. Have you ever thought about that? The volume button on your car is about glory. And what we want to glorify. Um, and so, all that to say that when we sing, do it well, do it loud on a Sunday morning. Um, because it's about the glory of God. And, and honestly, I need to hear someone sing God's praises loudly. You know, we need that. And so I just want to encourage you in that. And so why don't we pray together and ask God to minister in our hearts through his word. Father God, I thank you for 
your work that is moving around us. Father, I just am moved this morning to pray for believers in other parts of this world that are under a great trial. The persecution is a real and ever-present threat. God, somewhere, there are believers holed up in a prison somewhere, locked up, being tortured for no other reason but because they bear your name. And Lord, they need to be encouraged. Lord, even now, would you just let your presence be known to them in ways that they can see your great worth and the value of who you are that would sustain sustain them, Lord. Will you strengthen them to endure what must be endured? Father, the suffering that's yet to be done so that every people group would know your name. And glorify you. And then you will come. So Lord we pray for that. And Lord I pray that in this time. As we read your word. And think about it. Lord would you minister and encourage our own hearts. Lord help us to see. The value of your son Jesus Christ. Lord would you open up our eyes. To see the glory of, your, of Jesus. Remove the blinders Lord. That we're born with. As a part of our worldly way of thinking. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as you think about uh, Philippians 4 verse 13, uh, perhaps uh, some scenes come to your mind. We are often impacted by athletes, of all things, uh, with Philippians 4.13. It's probably one of the most used verses in athletics. Uh, and so perhaps uh, you might think of uh, some folks like Stefan Curry, uh, who uh, has popularly, uh, popularized the verse on his shoe, uh, writing, I can do all things on there. Uh, Nike wouldn't carry that, but Under Armour decided they'd carry that shoe where it has written, I can do all things. Uh, uh, perhaps you might, if you're a UFC fighter, you might know of Jim, uh, Jim Jones. He's a, a fighter. He's got it tattooed on his chest, Philippians 4.13. Um, you know, there's uh, quite a few others if we just think about it. But the, uh, one of the ones that I think about is uh, Evander Holyfield. Uh, so, I, you know, growing up in, in the 90s, uh, in eight, late 80s and 90s, and, and as a teenager, Mike Tyson was the guy. Uh, you know, of course, we had a video game after Mike Tyson because he could knock people out, not only in a matter of what round, but how many seconds, and would do it time after time after time. And, and that he was the epitome of strength. Uh, no one could, could beat up Mike Tyson. And then this guy came, and the next unknown guy, Evander Holyfield, coming out with Philippians 4.13 on his, on his, uh, his robe and, and on his, his boxers. And, and he comes out, and he defeats Mike Tyson. <laughs> We're just, whoa. The guy that we didn't think could be beat was beat by a guy wearing Philippians 4.13. 
And then we're all jacked up, excited for the next fight with Lennox Lewis wearing his Philippians 4.13, and he gets knocked out. (laughs) Like, wait a second. I thought Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Well, what happened? I thought that doesn't mean you get knocked out. But he did. And so the danger of this verse and using it like, a, like some kind of spiritual vitamin uh, that allows us to kick the, the ball further, hit the ball harder, uh, to run faster, uh, to knock out the guy... Uh, is that, well, what happens when you don't get the victory? Does that mean we should take out that verse? Well, the problem is that we've used this verse as some kind of uh, spiritual uh, spinach like Popeye, uh, and, and instead we need to really read it for where it's at. And so it's not only probably one of the most quoted verses, most cited verses, it's often one of the most misused verses. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I want to talk about Philippians 4, verse 13. And so uh, with that thought in mind, it's really about how we deal with our desires, dealing with contentment, uh, and dealing with hard things uh, that we can perhaps maybe endure all things through Christ, not so much do all things. In fact, in Philippians four thirteen, when you read the verse, the word for do is not even in the verse. It's just supplied to help us make sense. Uh, it's, it's literally uh, all things uh, with power in him who strengthens me. And so we kind of have to supply the verb do or endure or whatever word we want to use to kind of make sense of this. Uh, so with this in mind, let's read Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start with verse 10, uh, reading through verse 13. It helps you to know that as Paul writes this letter, he is in prison. and He's writing a thank you note, if you will, uh, to a church that has supplied him with money. Uh, and so as he's in prison, he's encouraging them. and He's concerned about the church because there's some serious unity problems there. Uh, and so just keep that in mind as we read this. Uh, and let's stand as we read this together in honor of God's word. Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You may be seated. There's a little saying that says, as a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. And when it's cool, he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. Well, some of you are thinking, yeah, I'm cold right now. All right, well, you know, there's no winning on this deal. So uh, that's just kind of how we are. And yet, Paul, uh, as he writes this letter, not only is he in prison, he is in prison 
uh, well, being falsely accused. He's being slandered. People are taking credit for things that Paul has done, and they're misusing his name as they're preaching this gospel. And so Paul is not just dealing with the adversity of being in prison, which was significant. Uh, he's dealing with the fact that people are telling lies about him, other people taking credit for his work, uh, and then, not only that, he's, he's, his freedom's limited. He cannot be with those he loves. So it's a pretty bad situation that Paul finds himself in. Uh, but yet, he writes this, this passage of saying, thank you for this provision that you've given to me. And, and you understand, Philippi, the church in Philippi, they, it's not like they had a great supply of money, yet out of their limited supplies, they bless them, uh, give them money to care for. So he's not sitting with piles of clothing, he's not with great opportunity, not a promising career, not even freedom, yet he finds contentment in Christ. And so I want to talk about what it is to find contentment in Christ, and just some observations about this, and, and what it means to find it in Christ. First of all, we learn that contentment is a learned trait, all right? It's, it's not something that we're born. Just because we're believers and the Holy Spirit's with the, within us, there's not some little button we can press, some downloaded contentment into our spirit, all right? It's something that we have to learn, as Paul himself says. You notice this in verse 11. Uh, I, I'm, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's not trying to hint for more money. He's saying, look, just rest at ease. Don't give me more money. I'm learning this. I know how to be content. It implies experience that's going on in his life. I remember back before we had children, I actually had time to work with a dog. I had taught a dog how to catch a frisbee. And it was a great fun just to go out and to do that, but it took some time uh, to train the dog because he wouldn't bring it back, you know? Uh, and so we had to constantly praise and encourage even the slightest movement back toward the one who, who threw it. And, and eventually he got to the point where, yeah, he would do it. And it just was a great acrobatic dog and it would bring it back. But it's something we had to learn. So you need to understand something. Your ability to be content is going to be a learned experience. It's going to take trial it's going to take frustration. It's going to take disappointment. It's going to take, uh, well, d- discomfort in your life. But all the while, there's going to be something God's going to be teaching us, and that is how it is to be content. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So understand, when you have a disappointing, discontented time in your life, it is an opportunity for us to learn from God. So if you're sitting in something like that right now, where there's some disappointment or some discontentment, the, the question that we really want to ask ourselves is, God, how can I learn contentment here? What, what do I need to focus on uh, to know some measure of contentment? So the second thing I would want you to, observation I would want you to get from this as we read this, that contentment is separate from stuff and achievements. Contentment is separate from stuff and achievements. He's basically, as we read this in verse 11, I'm, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In verse 12, he gives the extremes. I know how to be brought 
lo. All right, notice that's a passive term. In other words, something's happening. God is doing it to him. I'm being brought low. It's being brought to me. He's, uh, the word might say abased. And I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so basically he's saying this idea of contentment has nothing to do with the amount of stuff I have, nor the amount of achievements I'm making. And that's the other thing that we often think about is like, if I can just achieve this, if I can accomplish it, if I can finish this, then I can be content in my life. And so a lot of us are driven uh, to achieve for some degree of contentment or self-worth, all right? We can call it ambition, all right? And ambition is not a bad thing, but it depends on what you're getting out of that ambition, all right? If you're getting some sense of satisfaction about yourself, then we're starting to go into some problem areas. One of the things that was great about the Olympics, I mentioned this online, was the, the divers, the two divers, Chris, I think Chris Buda was one of the names uh, that was interviewed after he had uh, uh, achieved some, uh, some great scores on his dives, and they were asking about this, and, and he had this wonderful response that my identity is not found, and I've learned that it's not found in what tr- flips I do and the dives I make, that my identity is found in Christ. <laughs> it's like, it's great, because the person, the media interviewer, was just like, what did I do with this, you know? Just, it was kind of just speechless for a little bit, uh, and then went on. And I thought, what a tremendous response in the midst of the highest goal of amateur sports of, 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 <laughs> of the Olympics. And this person responding would say, it's not about the score. I've learned that my identity is found in Christ. Uh, and so it's not the achievement. So, so what do we do with the ambitions that we've got? One of the things that we're going to ask ourselves is the ambitions that we have, the desires that we have, are they fueled by Christ are they fueled by ourselves? And one of the great ways to reveal it is, is how do we respond to disappointments? Our response to disappointments will reveal whether they are godly or selfish in their nature. Do you get that? Disappointments, how we respond to disappointments will, will reveal how we are godly or selfish in our motivations. And so here's Paul. His motivation is to preach the gospel. And now his name's being misaligned and he's put in prison, but he's finding that it's still okay because his desire is that which is, is a godly desire and no longer uh, necessarily tied to his abilities. In fact, he's still able to do what God has called him to do. So that when disappointments come, how we respond in that moment tells a lot about our motivations. So when disappointments come, just thank God for the test. Of This is an opportunity for us to realign our heart and to see who we are on the inside. So <laughs> you think I was reading, uh, dogs have fleas remind them that they're dogs. You know, there's things that happen in our life that reminds us, you know, I'm not so high as I thought I once was when disappointments come in our life. And so this takes us to the third observation, which we're going to spend the most time with. Contentment is found only in Christ. As we read this, he he says, like, I know how to abound. I know how to, to be brought low. So how do I do with this? Well, verse 13 
I can do all things, or all things have all power through or in Him who strengthens me. Who strengthens me is a, a continuous verb who is constantly infusing me with strength. And so obviously this is referring to Christ. He's saying contentment, I found, is only in my relationship with Jesus Christ who is constantly strengthening me as I'm in prison, who's constantly strengthening me as I'm abounding. I'm realizing that my, my security is not found in my abounding. See, it's one of the problems that we have is that when things come to our life and difficulty comes, we're more likely to use the credit card uh, than Christ to find our abundance to find our satisfaction of it's okay because I've got this credit. And so consequently, the church in America is often given more money in interest to the credit card than they are in tithing. And that's just the sad state. And it's only because we've depended on it more than Christ. And so, what does it mean have contentment found only in Christ who is continually strengthening us? I... Um, I think about uh, this morning I was just refreshed with the, the horrors of ISIS. Um, you know, there's constantly sources of the next thing that I don't, I, I believe it is really demon-inspired behavior, what's going on. Um, and so the visions or the images I saw this morning were of that of people being cooked. I mean, it's just horrific. Um, and I was thinking, asking I was like, myself, and just in talking to God, I was like, I don't know if I could do that. That That's beyond any realm of thinking for me. And then I remembered back to a movie I saw this past week, The Insanity of God, which I would strongly encourage you to watch. There is an encore movie uh, presentation being offered, I think, September 13th. Uh, if you want to go to the, ins- the insanityofgodmovie.com, uh, you can purchase tickets there. Um, but it, it follows the book. It's a, a documentary of persecuted believers, and uh, especially in, in uh, East Asia, China, and um, former Soviet Union, uh, and then the persons, the author's own experiences in uh, Somalia. And I, the, one of the points of the whole movie was this question, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And so as I was thinking, reading over the latest horrors from ISIS and what they're doing to believers, and then remembering this movie and thinking, well, that's the question. Is Jesus worth it? But what we don't get from an outsider looking at the situation is what the participants are enduring. Not only are they enduring the horrors of what is, but they are also enduring a Jesus, a Christ, who is infusing them constantly with strength. And I have no idea what that would be like. I don't really care to know, to be honest. But if that moment comes, there is a realm of experiencing Christ that we cannot know unless you're in that moment of fire. Just for us to think about. So what does this look like for Paul? To say contentment is found only in Christ. How do you do that? Well, as we look in, in Paul's life, first we see that Paul saw the value of Christ over all things. How do we find contentment 
found only Christ. To see, we've got to see the value of Christ over all things. Uh, go to Philippians chapter 3. Just one chapter over. This is all within this book that, that Paul is just bringing this out. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. He, he is kind of accounting his, his resume, uh, his, his vital uh, status, statistics of life, the things that matter to most people uh, in his circles. He says, verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So that's my achievements. This is my status here. In the religious circles, you couldn't really do much more than what he's already done. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. The word for rubbish, that's the ESV, but some of you might have the, the King James. We'll say the word dung. That's the word he's using. It's like all this stuff, and there's, all, of course, all kinds of more crass words we could use for that, but says, that's how I count that. The things that my religious circle said, these are important things compared to my relationship with God, compared to the identity I'm finding in knowing Jesus Christ, compared to the value of Jesus Christ, it as just something to be flushed away and not touched again. So how do you find the contentment in Christ? The first you got to understand is the value of Christ over all things. And so I don't know what you would add. What's on your resume? I mean, there's things you write in and you, and you use those right verbs, you know, to say how much you took initiative and took action and, and seeing certain projects being done and accomplished and, and how you were promoted to different levels. What was your job, your resume say? The things you wanted to say. Paul's saying, all right, that's great, but that's as dung. In comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In relationship with Him. Talking with Him. I think about that with Black Belt, with, you know, do Taekwondo. I do that kind of as a hobby. And, you know, they, they've got these ninth dons, which is degrees. And, uh, and so I'm on the third don. The next one would take like three years to ever get to that point. Uh, you have to do all these skills. But, but it's like saying the Black Belt... And the level is as nothing, is as dung in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord. So where's your, your ambitions lie? What are the things that you're saying, man, if I could just do that, if I could just get this accomplished in my life, then I'll be happy. And I'm just trying to tell you, you won't be. It's not going to happen. It's found in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And then something else you, you see in Paul. Uh, not only does he see the value of Christ over all things, but in chapter 2, uh, Josh Kors spoke on this not too long ago, uh, but he, see, he has this sober view of himself. Philippians chapter 2, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a God a thing to be grasped. 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says, in, in application of that, look at everyone as better than yourselves. In other words, I have no sense of entitlement. I have a sober view of myself. I, I had a friend uh, who passed away not too long ago. But he was instrumental in sharing the gospel with me. He saw through my facade, my hypocrisy in church, and he witnessed to me. Even though I'd ever been baptized, pastor, son, and all that stuff, he saw through it and just witnessed to me. And I was like, dude, what's a, he acts like I'm not a believer. How does he know? But he shared the gospel with me. And ever after that point, I would talk to him, and he would always have this response. Dave Ramsey has made this popular now. And you ask him, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it's true. I'm constantly better than I deserve. And Paul is having this sober view of himself. And he's in prison and things are, are, are lined up against him. But you know, there's this constant thing of, man, if folks really knew who I was, I, yeah, I need to be in prison. So you know what's said about the difference between those who are in prison and who are not? They got caught. <laughs> they got caught. If everything was known in our heart and mind and was on display, hell would be a just sentence. And so Paul has this sober view of himself to say, you know what, I, I don't deserve all these things, but it's mine to serve. It's mine to serve. He had, uh, saw the value of Christ in all things. But then he go to chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. You see something else that Paul understood. Verse 6, 7. Do not be anxious about, everything, about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your quest be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul trusted God's control. Over circumstances. How do, you, how do you be content in Christ? Not only do you see the value of Christ of all things and see a sober view of yourself, but then you, you trust God's control over the circumstances. See, the thing that Paul is dealing with is these are the circumstances I'm in. Sometimes I'm in good circumstances, sometimes I'm in bad circumstances. But God is in control over all the circumstances, and he's working in these circumstances, and I'm just going to trust a minute. I don't like them, they're not always comfortable, but he is doing something, and that's what last week was about, isn't it? I know the plans that I think towards you, plans for nourishing you. And so here, Paul believes that. He knows that even if it looks like I'm in prison and derailed from the plan. God's over these circumstances. Do you believe that? It's demonstrated by your prayer. It's demonstrated by your thankfulness. You notice how Paul says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That is the barometer of how we believe that God is in control of the circumstances. Our thankfulness and our prayers. So, one of the things that he's learned is that God can choose for us to go through suffering circumstances. Suffering circumstances. 
to increase our intimacy with the Lord and his glory. We keep on really, so to find contentment in Christ, one, see the value of Christ over all things, that, to understand that there's a, have a sober view of ourselves, and then to trust God's control over these circumstances, and then just realizing that God can use suffering things. And in using these suffering things, it will increase our intimacy with Him and His glory. That's what happens here with Paul. He says, you know, people are, are misaligning me, taking credit for the things I'm doing. They're preaching in my name, not to glorify God, but to try to get me in trouble. And Paul is saying, but what do I care? The gospel is going out. I praise God for that. You know, go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. He says, I'm in prison now, but look what's happening. Most of the brothers, have, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed, indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ, Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." Wow, bad stuff's happening to me, but as a side effect, God's son is getting preached. So praise God. I will glory in that. You see that again in chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. The same mindset. He says, I endure all these things that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I endure these things if it allows me to get to know him, the intimacy of my father, Jesus getting preached. That's my desire. So if it means I'm in prison, then so be it. So let me just give a little revelation to you guys. You're all going to go through junk. The younger you are, the more you got. That's one of the three great things about getting older. That's behind me. Less of it in front of me. But guys, you do go out with a bang though, don't you? That last bit gets hard. That's one of the things about having kids and more kids. I'm like, oh my goodness. More junk more hardships, more stuff that I don't want and I don't like. None of us are getting out of here without suffering. The question that I'm going to ask you is what dividends will it pay, the suffering you do? Just because you suffer doesn't make you better. It can make you just as easily bitter Quite a few bitter people, resentful people, angry people. What causes one person to be angry and bitter? Another person sweet, loving, joyful. The difference is what they valued in the midst of it all. 
See, when, when sufferings come and persecution comes and bad things come, disappointments come, it may have robbed you of your idol. So you get angry. You get bitter. You get resentful toward God and others who claim it. And it rots your heart. It could be good things. I mean, you know, Paul, he could have easily said, yeah, preaching is it. But it wasn't. It was Christ. And there was a big difference between those two. It could be family. It could be ministry opportunities. It could be good things that normally, like, yeah, that's great kingdom work stuff. You know, I want to get married and have a family for Christ. God, where's my spouse? Or where's my kids? Or I have kids. And they're not following you. It can make you bitter and angry. Or God, if you just give me that job, then I'll have a platform in ministry. I think we, could, I think we want to pray for Tim Tebow. I, you know, he's another one, the Philippians 4.13. You know, a lot of what he did was about having a platform in ministry. Now he's signed on with the Atlanta Braves in the minor leagues. Um. I'm just praying that he keeps Christ, his heart's desire, not platforms. Here as a church, we want to see this church grow. Jesus has called us to build the church. What does that mean? We want to see Nightdale greatly impacted with the gospel and the vision for his kingdom. And more people that sit in these rooms, are sit in our small groups, are the more people that are getting exposed to that teaching, increasing in knowledge of, good, of godliness and, and of who God is and bearing fruit. We want to make a serious effort toward that this, this fall. We have some goals. We'd love to see 225 in worship here uh, on a Sunday morning. We'd love to see 180 in our small groups. We'd love to see six new small groups start. We'd love to see 20 people get baptized. We'd love to see 1,000 people get shared the gospel with through the ministry of this church. Are those bad? No. This is about wanting people to be exposed to who Christ is. But we take these goals, we take these desires, and we give them to God. And we understand that Christ, the relationship with Him, is the most important thing in our life. My identity is not that I'm pastor of Green Pines Baptist Church. Because that can go in a heartbeat, right? My identity is not that, my, that Julie is my wife, or that I'm her husband. We call her pastor's wife, but that's not our identity. Children, that's not their identity, is that they belong to me or that I belong to them in some way. That's not our identity, that's not your identity, that you're a member of Green Pines Baptist. It's not your identity, that you're a music minister, that you're a deacon, you're a Sunday school teacher, that you work in some field, that you're a teacher. Your identity ultimately must be that which endures forever and that is worth more than anything else and that will be worth more than all the junk you go through. And that's Christ. I remember sitting in a 
hospital room waiting, trying to figure out what's going to happen with my family. And, and I just was just in torment. And I was thinking to myself, thinking of Philippians chapter 1, and Paul saying, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think, what does that mean? I think, well, one thing that means is that if I have to go through this junk, I want to make it worthwhile. And the only, only way to make it worthwhile is to live for Christ, to know that relationship and let that be your identity. So when I think about Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or through him who strengthens me. Here's my prayer. I use that prayer and pray for those who are being persecuted. God, you have called them. You will enable them. Circumstances are terrible against them. But God, you will strengthen them to endure the fires of ISIS, to endure the persecutions of a a communist government. Father, for those of us in America, you will enable us, strengthen us to, to endure uh, being stigmatized in the society. You know, we've got great strength, but it's not found in the walls and the building and in and, and our jobs and in our bank accounts and our achievements. It's found solely in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the thing is, you can't do anything to get right to God, but God has done everything to get right with you. He has reconciled you to himself through the the blood of Jesus Christ. He is giving us a purpose that matters for eternity. As a brother, I came to know for a brief summer, Jess Henley. He's not well known in in a lot of church circles today, but he was a mighty preacher, spending decades studying the Word of God, mentoring men like Jerry Vines and others. It was about in his late 80s when I came to meet him in the summer. His wife had died by that time. His wife did everything for him so that she could, so that he could study the Word of God. He had fall in the midst of depression and just cried out and saying, God, can you just take my life? I don't want to continue. And the question came back to him, am I not enough? And I'll never forget an old man in his tears just crying out and saying, oh, Jesus, forgive me. You are enough. And he carried out his life. Too many of us are like the story about Wendell William Randolph Hearst. He invested and collected uh, millions or uh, much money in art treasures. So he collected art treasures from around the world. One day, Mr. Hearst was reading a description of this valuable art item. Uh, and so he sent his agents to, to abroad to find this. I must have this. I want this art item. After months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasure. To the surprise of Hearst, the priceless masterpiece was stored in none other than the warehouse of William Randolph Hearst. It was already his. I would just argue with you that what you're seeking after in your job, what you're seeking after in your relationships, what you're seeking after in your sports, in your achievements, what you're seeking after in church, you've already got that and more so in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
I would just beg of you, proclaim to you, redirect your heart, redirect your mind away from this achievements, the money, the position, the promotions, whatever it is, our ease, and redirect it to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what we call repentance. And it's for our own good to be repented to Jesus Christ. And the great thing is, is that if that happens, you will find that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through His presence, through the brothers and sisters, will be constantly strengthening you, no matter what you go through. That's what's on your mug. That's what's on your walls. Let's pray.